Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare-related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans, and a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And now, here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Hello, welcome to The Nine Line Podcast. I'm your host, John Archiquette, and joining me, we have Joshua Gray, my co-host, partner in crime. And joining us once again this week, we have our two favorite guests. We have Dr. Myron Kung and Dr. Jason Daisley. Now, you're not hearing this wrong. We do have them on two weeks in a row because it's important. Because what's about to happen is big. Yeah. Really big. So last week, we focused quite a bit about um, the resurgence of the coronavirus, uh, talking about uh, the spread going on as we're getting into winter. And the holiday season, some tips to you know, try to avoid um, becoming a part of the spread. But really, the, the big news going on, it, you know, and the big light at the end of the tunnel we kind of briefly touched on in the last uh, last episode was the new coronavirus vaccine coming out. And I know a lot of veterans out there probably have a lot of questions. I know we have a lot of questions. And uh, there's nobody else better to have on today to talk about this than the two of you. So uh, thank you for joining us, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So right away, right off the bat, um, you know, we see in the news every day that the uh, the COVID vaccine, it's, you know, it's making headway. They're figuring out the logistics of it. So as we're, you know, as we're looking into the the data that's coming out and, and, you know, all of those challenges, you kind of have to ask ourselves, you know, are we, you know, Am I prepared to get the vaccine? Um, do I do I want to get it? Do I need to get it? Uh, what do you What do you say to veterans out there who are kind of questioning about you know should I get that vaccine? Well, for me, I think it's important for us to think about um, what it's going to do for us. It's another tool in the toolkit for us. It's a highly effective one, and one that's going to help us to have much more protection than just us getting the infection alone. Mm-hmm. And getting the infection is going to cause us a lot of other problems that we don't want to deal with that are going to probably go on going for some time. And so if we get this vaccine, given that it's safe and effective, then it's going to help us to get that needed protection so that we'll be shielded. And it's not a perfect shielding, but it is much better than sometimes nature can offer right now. So... Dr. Daisley, last week when we had you on the, on the podcast, we kind of briefly brought up a, a similar question. And you said you, you wanted to look over more of the data. You wanted to see, um, you know, some of the, the facts and figures. And, and some of that information has kind of has come out over the last two weeks. Um, have you had a, a change of heart or have you seen the information that you need to make a decision? That's a really good question. Yeah. So I've just thought about that so much since the discussion and um, had a chance to allow others to weigh in on it, other infectious disease, other scientists, other people, Dr. Kung, he's one that definitely weighed in on it, and thinking about that. And then just yesterday, we got the, the data from um, you know Pfizer, and they gave us all the details. It was a long report, but the details are all there. Mm-hmm. And now it's all out for more peer review to uh, cover that. And now with the information I have, And even dealing with my own history where I've had debilitating diseases in the past that may have been caused from vaccine, perhaps, we still are not completely sure. But in the event that it was, then I have to think about the possibility of this happening again. But even given that, my experience 
and what I've already seen, then I would say I am going to get it. So when you look at that data, you know, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned it, it's out, it's in a report. You've looked at it. Um, so. What data or, or is, is there anything in there that's kind of jumped out at you like, uh, wow, this is really promising? <laughs> right. I think more than anything, it's the efficacy of it, having it be 95 percent effective overall. And then uh, with the secondary uh, sort of endpoint that they had was they wanted to make sure it's going to prevent death. ER visits, hospitalizations, and it did very well there, above the 95% for that. And so for that, that's really promising. I mean, I'm looking at the adverse events. I'm looking at the serious adverse events. They're very low. Significantly, the adverse events, most of the time, they could be related to, let's say, a lot of people know Dwayne Johnson, know who Mm -hmm. he is, right? He goes for a good workout, and you know he is going to have a heavy workout when he goes and works out. How is he going to feel the next day? He's probably going to be fatigued. He's probably going to have some muscle ache. Those are some of the things that people are normally going to experience if it's not one of the real rare events. So when when you say the vaccine is 95% safe or 95% effective, what does that mean exactly? Does that mean that that I have like bulletproof armor and COVID's not going to touch me at all? Or I might get it, but I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be severely impacted. Let, you know, a lot of folks have questions on what all of these terms mean, because a vaccine has never really been in the news. I mean, the last time a, a vaccine was majorly in the news was what, polio. You know, that was, was a while ago. So a lot of people are hearing these terms 95 percent efficacy for the first time. So what exactly does that mean? Well, I think generally, for the most part, people understand that to be it means that in 95% of cases, when they looked at all of the the different patients that were involved in the study, and there were thousands of them, they saw in most cases, it did prevent major disease from the coronavirus. That doesn't mean that they're not always going to be infected. But like we talked about last time, it's going to prevent severe disease. And I think that's the thing we really want to convey is that message that it's not going to cause major disease in most cases, 95% of cases. And so it really just provides a blueprint for what the immune system needs so that they don't just kind of run around and not know what to do. So once this particular vaccine is given to the patient, the body has a chance to, and that's why you get some of the side effects, because the body's learning. It's the immune system's getting a chance to look at the blueprints and then translating that into a protein. And that protein can then provide all the necessary information for the immune system to then say, oh, okay, I know what to do in this scenario. I know what to do for the lungs. I know what to do for this and other body parts that need to be protected. But just to, just to reinforce, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not infectious, correct? Right, exactly. Okay. You still th- are infected. I think that's important to stress again in this podcast and we talked about in the last one. The vaccine is only one tool in the toolkit. That doesn't mean that it's a silver bullet, number one. And number two, it doesn't mean that we should stop all of our strategies that we've been doing so well up until now masking and social distancing, avoiding high-risk indoor uh, exposures and things like that. All of that still needs to continue because understand, not everyone can get the vaccine. And when you mention 95% effective, there still are some people who get the vaccine who for some reason or another don't develop an immune response. And so even if you get the vaccine, you may be that one in 20 person who doesn't mount an immune response. We don't know how to protect 
predict that. So we still need to keep with everything else that we're doing, but this is just something else that helps us get along to safety that we're looking for, the light at the end of the tunnel. So some of the side effects you guys were talking about, uh, those seem similar to actual symptoms of coronavirus. You know, there's, you know it seems like a wide array of, of different symptoms that people may start with um, in the early stages of COVID. You know, how does somebody who gets the vaccine, how do they know, is this just a side effect or am I actually infected with COVID? That's a good question. So the side effects are similar because the immune system is getting active. But instead of getting exposed to the virus, you're getting exposed to something that's similar, that resembles it. Think of it as training. And I think veterans can understand this concept very, very well. We go through a lot of simulation training. Think of the mRNA as in as a way of telling the immune system, hey, be on the lookout for something that looks like this, mm -hmm. something that looks like the coronavirus. Understand that there is no coronavirus, even particles or fragments in this particular vaccine, that is the coronavirus. Nobody is getting the coronavirus, okay, mm -hmm. with the mRNA vaccine. They're just getting something that tells the body, hey, be on the lookout for this. And you train the body. This is why we give two shots. You train it once. Okay, I think I got it. Give another exposure. Okay, I definitely know what I'm looking out for before the coronavirus comes. That's the training. Okay, but because you're training, the response will be exactly the same. Your immune system will get revved up a little bit. It's just like any other workout. You start to work it out. Once you stress the body, the body comes back a little bit stronger than it was before. So the symptoms will be very, very similar. Now, to answer your question specifically, how do you know? You don't know. So we do have to be careful. If the symptoms get better, usually within 24 hours, a lot of people note that after the second dose, they got kind of wiped out, went to bed, got up the next morning. They were a little feverish, but maybe a little bit achy. But by that afternoon, the symptoms had completely resolved. Then you know, hey, this is probably from the vaccine. But if the symptoms continue, remember, you're not immune within the first 24 hours. You have, it takes time for the body to ramp up. There is a possibility still, even at that time, that you've con uh, contracted the coronavirus. So that's those cases where we do ask you to say, hey, listen, talk to your doctor about it, discuss how severe the symptoms are, what your exposures were, and to help determine whether or not, hey, is this the virus talking or just the vaccine talking? You mentioned mRNA, mm -hmm. messenger RNA. That's right. Um, this vaccine is is uh, new mechanically in how it works. That's right. Where you're not giving somebody a dead virus, quote right. unquote. And so uh, for people that aren't familiar with that term, what exactly does messenger RNA consist of? And how does it, like, what's going on inside of your body? You know, sure. You say it's training, and that's kind of a, a good layman's term. Right. Um, but... You know, what, what is actually biologically going on in your body? Right. So I think everybody has heard uh, the term spike protein. That's where the coronavirus gets its name from. If you look at the virus itself under a microscope, it's uh, spiky. And those spikes is what attach to the cells in your body. And that's how the virus spreads. That part needs to happen. So we developed a vaccine to say, hey, listen, tell your body to be on the lookout for those spikes. And if you make antibodies, in other words, if you can make something to block those spikes, you're golden. Now, there's a couple of different ways that you can get the body to recognize that. The old way used to be giving dead virus. So you just give the virus. The, vi the body takes it up and says, okay, I know I need to recognize this guy when he comes in. And I start to make antibodies. The new way of doing it is with mRNA. So you short circuit that whole process. 
The body takes the mRNA, which means messenger RNA, and the key term being messenger. It's the instruction, like Dr. Daisley said. It's the blueprint for that spike. So you just give the body that blueprint. The body makes antibodies, recognizes it, and says, hey, listen, I need to fight off these spikes with the mRNA as a blueprint. That's how you get immunity. I think that that's why it's so effective. And because we have studied this before with other uh, outbreaks, SARS and MERS before, this is not a new process. This is a new vaccine, but not a new process. And part of the reason we've been able to abbreviate the whole development is because this way of making it is much more efficient. We can make a, a lot more doses. It, it's not new, but it's the first time a lot of people are hearing about it. Sure. Do, you, do you think that adds to, you know, it, it, would, it would be... You know, there there's people out there who are who are have some trepidation about yep. the vaccine. Yeah, right. That that's just a fact. Um, do you think that the fact that it's a new process adds to that? And and how do you go and and put people at ease that it's it's actually a safe vaccine and it's not some of the more um, conspiratorial things that we've seen about what the purpose of this vaccine yeah. is? Yeah, I'm going to let Dr. Daisley get into the specifics of it. But one thing I wanted to lead off with is both Dr. Daisy and I will take this vaccine. I think unlike other drugs which doctors participate in research, if you look at this vaccine and all of the doctors who've looked at the data, they themselves will be taking this vaccine. Mm -hmm. I prescribed a lot of medications to my patients which I've never taken myself. This is one of those which I will also be taking. And I think that says a lot about where how comfortable we feel with this particular vaccine. Yeah, I think in and thinking about vaccines in general, this is a, a new concept for a lot of people. They're so used to hearing maybe sometimes you'll hear vectored vaccine, and that's where some of the vaccines for COVID-19 are being built upon. And that just means another harmless sort of uh, virus where then a little bit of the material of COVID-19 is placed inside of that in a way where it can become a vehicle to go in somebody's body and then from there, it can create that kind of antibody response that you need. The beautiful thing about this is you don't have to create a virus. You don't have to kill a virus. And so it takes away a huge element that takes a lot of time. It's labor intensive. It's costly. And for, for that reason, they were able to go from a genetic sequence, like Dr. Kung just explained, just the blueprint, to the actual vaccination in 42 days. And so you may think, oh, that's a rush process. I mean, how is this actually going to work? It's They've already worked on this for decades. They've already thought about it. And uh, in reality, we've used it for other minor issues before. So we know that it works. It's just we want to see that it's going to work in a coronavirus where we've tried this with SARS, we've tried this with MERS, but we haven't had the resource nor the attention necessary to really dive deep into it and be able to get something that's going to work well for the public at large. Yeah, I think that's a great way of looking at it. It's not that we rush the process, it's we cut out a lot of extra steps that we needed before that we don't need now. And that's why you're seeing it so quickly. And then, and then at that point, you can get so many more doses, like what Dr. Kung mentioned, very quickly. And and there's always that question of whether or not there's going to be more mutations and you can easily flex to that. You can adapt to that and you can adjust it if needed. And that's the thing you can't do very easily with the other ones because of all the labor intensity involved. So with this particular, with the, the two leading vaccines right now, the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines, um, they're both two dose vaccines, correct? Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
it's hard enough to get people to come in sometimes to get to get one shot. Um, and they're very, you know, from the data that they have, it seems to be most effective with the two doses. Um, are both the doses the same or are they two different rounds of it? Yeah, so they are two different rounds, but they're the same dose. Okay. Um, and they're both important because that's how they were studied. And it was just apparent that we need not only for that quick immunity to occur and for, for the, the, the immune system to get a chance to learn, but we also need memory. And that's where that comes in. So some may think, well, that, you know, the information, the data came out and it said you already have 89% protection, so why not just do the one vaccine? I think you should be fine. Well, it wasn't studied that way. And second of all, immunologists have weighed in and they said, well, we think you may need that, that memory. You know, people have gotten antibody studies after and started thinking, well, you know, my antibody's going down. But in reality, we don't know. There's so much unknown still as far as that goes. But stay tuned because we'll have more information about when people have to get vaccinated again, if that will be the case, because we don't know how long it's going to last. Yeah, I think I saw um, after the, the data came out the other day that in between the two shots, if you only got that first shot, you were somewhere at like 50% efficacy, you know, and I'm, I'm not I'm not taking a, a coin flip on exactly. COVID. Right. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. I mean, it's just like studying for the test, right? You don't want to just study once. Repetition is the key. And the thing that we're looking for in the second dose is that the body reacts faster. The first time you get exposed to it, it may take a little bit of time before you get immunity or full, your body ramps up. Your response is much more vigorous after the second one. And that's what we're looking for. Okay. We're going to take a quick break, uh, have a few messages, and we'll be back with Dr. Kung and Dr. Daisley to discuss some more information on the coronavirus vaccine. You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council talk. She just sat with me. That was all I really needed. We got back. One day he called me out of the blue and it's comforting to know that I always can count on him to have my back. She called me from time to time. I really didn't think I needed any help. It took me from being really depressed to feeling like somebody cared to give me some hope. Just that one text. Be there. Your call, your presence, your words, your support. Be there and help save a life. Learn more about preventing suicide at veteranscrisisline.net. Welcome back to The Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related healthcare news and information. Here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray.
Welcome back to the Nine Line Podcast. I'm your host, John Archiquette, and joining me is Joshua Gray Hello. and our two infectious disease experts here, Dr. Myron Kung and Dr. Jason Daisley. We're here talking about the coronavirus vaccine and, uh, you know, asking ourselves, do we need it? Do you, you know, need it? Well, I, uh, yeah, like right, that's, right now, that's actually a good question yeah. that I want to talk sure. about here. Um, you know, it's easy for us to, to, you know, look at general population as a whole, but you know, we each have our own individual, mm-hmm. you know, restrictions or health concerns that we may have, um, or if anything, frequent exposure to the possibility of contracting coronavirus. So, you know, do I or does Josh consider, would he be a good candidate to receive the virus? First the, before, excuse me, the vaccine. Sure. Before we, yeah, I don't want the virus. Thank you. I see what you're trying to say. But first, before we get into that, I, there, there's one question that I got that, to kind of set this up. So um, last week, the FDA released, I guess, some guidelines and some tiered guideline guidance about who is, who most needs it. Could, could you tell us a little bit about um, what those tiers are and, and kind of how you use that as a matrix to set up what we'll do here in a minute where we, we look at a, a case study, I guess, and try and decide where that person should fall. Yeah, so the first tier in that actually had three subsets. And I think that was pretty smart because you can actually put a lot of different people in those subsets. You have the first, which is number one A, is the healthcare workers. And you think about those as having so much time with the patients, you know, your nurses, your pulmonary critical care that are always there and they're doing things that are so invasive that they could easily get the virus. And so a lot of times they're expendable. You think about providers, nurses, there's a shortage of all those. And with, uh, you know, the healthcare system that's just, you know, really brimming at this point, it's going to be a challenge to replace those or get other ones in case they get sick. And so if we get them vaccinated first with trust, knowing that this vaccine will be well with them and that there's more of a benefit to harm risk here, then it's helpful to have that at the top of the list. And then you think about your nursing home patients. Those are the ones that are elderly. They have lots of comorbidities or lots of other sicknesses. Plus there's 39% of death that are coming from that group. So it's a real concern. And then after that, our schools are still closed. We need our educators to be vaccinated. We need our policemen to be also vaccinated. We also need our firefighters. So those that become those essential groups are also going to be part of that group. And then after that, C is for all those others that are above 65. So I think it's it's actually a pretty good tiered group process mm-hmm. to make sure that the essential groups are going to be taken care of up front. And the VA will be following the, the CDC's tiered system as well. So, you know, our, we're going to take into account all of those things facing our, our healthcare workers and veterans as well. So let's take Josh, for example. Let's take me. Yes. So you know, one of the things we wanted to do to kind of show how all of this information, it, it, it's not set in stone, right? Okay. It's it's. Uh, a thing where you look at the the scenario of the person. Yeah. Um, so take me. I'm 42. Mm-hmm. Um, I I work here at the hospital, mm-hmm. but I am not a healthcare worker mm-hmm. necessarily. Obviously, because I'm yakking on the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do spend time around 
patients. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been on the COVID ward twice, mm-hmm. um, getting imagery and things like that for for what we do here at the at the VA. Uh, or if there's some other thing that requires me to be out, that's where there's some sort of patient contact mm-hmm. um, to get to get something for what we do here in our in our public affairs mission. Um, I'm I am around patients. Um, I live at home. I'm married. Um, no kids in the house at the moment, but I do have kids. My, my kids live with their mom. They visit me. They're visiting tonight. Um, and then they visit every other weekend. Um, they live with their mom, like I just said, but in that household, the, their stepfather's kids who go to spend time with their mom, who is also not exactly a mask proponent Mm -hmm. shall we say um so with with all of those things in mind you know i don't i don't go to restaurants and sit inside you know i do you know outdoor dining when it's when it's applicable Mm -hmm. uh, and now that it's cold it's all curbside or delivery um how would you rate somebody with that kind of a a lifestyle as uh needing the vaccine so i think What's important to note is that this is a group effort. Okay, mm-hmm. so if if people can take the vaccine and take the vaccine safely, we encourage it because that'll get us to where we want to be. Um, you know, where we essentially get back to our life before. But all of the things you've listed, this is how we look at it. All right, and these are the major questions that you have to answer. One, how likely is it that you're going to get COVID? This is easy to answer for us for healthcare workers and people at the groceries, essential workers, because they get exposed not infrequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, for us in the critical care and the infectious disease part department, we see a COVID patient every single day. So that exposure risk is very, very high. Okay, so that's one question. That puts you higher on the list and that makes it better as in, yes, you should probably take the vaccine too. How likely are you to transmit it to somebody who may get COVID, even if you are asymptomatic? So you were mentioning you live in a household. There are other people in the household. Mm -hmm. The kids travel back and forth. Is there somebody in your household who's vulnerable? That's important to know, too. Okay. Three is if you do get it, what are the consequences of you getting it? So you say you're male, you're 42 years old. Um, you know, you didn't mention any of your medical conditions, but if you do have medical conditions. No allergies and I'm in, I'm in pretty good health. Okay, so pretty good health. So if you were to get it, your risk of getting severe disease is low, not zero, mm-hmm. but low. So these are the important things to think about. We know our elderly patients, our patients who have lung trouble, patients who are immunocompromised or in nursing homes, if they get the disease, it can be catastrophic. So for them, it is very important that they get the vaccine. Okay, uh, We know that even though young kids can transmit the disease and can still get it, they the likelihood of getting severe disease is lower. So that, that's why they are lower on the list. And so when we are thinking about, hey, listen, should I get the vaccine? All of these questions need to be answered. And that helps answer a little bit about whether or not that risk-benefit ratio is there. Yeah. And I think more than all, anything, we, we're looking with that whole tiered process. And there are those case-by-case basis issues where that doesn't all fit in there. And maybe it's not all really just spelled out, you know, just like what we just did. And that's really helpful in certain circumstances to put people at ease. But you'll get the time and, and eventually that time will come where it will be your opportunity and it'll probably be, you know, the second, third, one of those other tiers after those initial ones are up um, and it's their turn. 
And so I think it's important that as we continue on, these things will adapt and it will be somewhat fluid um, because we're already seeing things out of the UK that are occurring and that's helping us to adapt as well. So, mm-hmm. how, how much, sorry, I don't mean, go ahead. Go no, ahead. and, and, and I, I, I do want to recognize that, that it will change depending on time and place. Mm-hmm. And I know one of the most common questions, and you know, this is the hard part, right? Dr. Daisley, not everybody fits into these categories very neatly and nicely. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that we do want to mention in regards to these tiers, and you'll be hearing a lot about this from the CDC, is that whatever your highest tier is, is what you qualify for. So let's say you are um, younger, but you do have a comorbid condition. That puts you on the tier. Does that make sense? So you don't have, oh, I fit in tier two, but I'm kind of tier three because of my age, but I'm tier one because of my job. Whatever highest tier is what determines where uh, in order of the vaccine distribution line uh, you can be. So it's not take the average and round up. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I'd like to think I'm young, but since I'm from many critical care, I, I go into the first tier. So, uh, you know, it's easy to sit here and have me rattle off all of my, you know, risks and, and um, you know, all, all of the things that would impact where I would be in that. But... How much does it complicate things when they're you're talking doing the same thing and it's 320 million Americans? That is that is the complication, and this is why I think you've seen a lot of attention and effort devoted to it. The VA has an entire work group devoted to discussing exactly this issue. And as a matter of fact, we have gotten instruction from National VA at each individual site and state to develop our own plans for exactly this. There are some VAs, for example, who have a lot more ill or elderly patients, Native American, right, underserved population. That's a unique calculation that needs to go into our uh, distribution of the vaccine. All of these things we're thinking about. Essentially, what it comes down to, though, is we're trying to do the greatest good for the greatest amount of people. And as long as we try to aim for that goal, I think we can rest well at night that we're doing the right thing. Are, are there any groups where that kind of an analysis pattern doesn't really factor in? Like, it, it would seem to me like if you're 85, you should get the vaccine and be right there at the front of the line regardless. That's a tough ethical question, right? We are trying to save the greatest amount of lives. I know that there are some people who think about, you know what, shouldn't we be protecting all of the 40-year-olds who are working and have kids and need to you know, go to school and things like that? The 85-year-olds are the ones who are staying at home. You know, we are thinking at this from a medical perspective, and that's why we are putting the 85-year-olds, because they're the ones who are most affected by this. Again, this is only one tool in the tool set. There are other strategies available to everybody else, the masking, the social distancing, the um, good habits and, you know, that good hand hygiene and things like that. All of those things added together are just as important as getting the vaccine. So I don't want anyone to lose sight of that. And so those options are available to everybody at this time. I think that kind of increases my respect and understanding for what the CDC and those governing bodies are doing because all that planning and preparation came in and we saw this development so early in the game, you know, for us, because we're like, well, we still have several weeks before we're ever going to be able to distribute anything. And we already have the tiers. Plus, we already had all the plans on how we were going to get the shipment, you know, the super cold temperatures, mm-hmm. all those things, how we were going to transport it, all that com- that information came out there. And so those that were involved in those national vaccine 
um, groupings or subcommittees, they were all totally informed on those things months ago. And we started getting the information. We're like, wow, I guess it really is coming. And that's because of all the planning, preparation and calculations. So calculating these tiers is, wasn't an easy process either. They used a lot of hard calculations as well to do so. It wasn't just like, oh, let's just put these guys at the top. And then after all that, they voted based on individuals that had a lot of experience. And you mentioned last week about, you know, the logistics of it. You know, this is something that we have prepped for in other vaccinations, you know, especially the flu vaccine with our point of dispensation. So, you know, we're not unprepared for this in any way, shape or form. Uh, I wanted to talk to, about something you'd mentioned, Dr. Kong, about um, the, the Native American population mm-hmm. that's, that's underserved. You know, we're seeing with this that it's striking certain demographics harder than others. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously men seem to be a little bit more susceptible um, it seems like the African-American and Hispanic-American populations are also being disproportionately affected uh, at higher rates. We also know that, you know, based on some things that have happened in history, that there is some hesitation amongst African-American community to receive vaccinations, especially one that is under emergency approval, right. perhaps. Uh, how do we reach out to people um, who may have some of those things in their memory and may be less willing to uh you know, to trust. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is um, a part of medicine that's near and dear to me. Um, I think Dr. Daisley and I do first and foremost, um, you know, our Hippocratic Oath as to do no harm. And so we impress upon our patients that uh, we have their best interests at heart. Uh, we do our best to earn their trust. And that takes time. It takes a lot of time. Um, and we need to usually have an established relationship. So we're not in this game to say, hey, everyone, you need to take your vaccine or else. No, we are trying to say, listen, we want to do what's right by you in your community, and we will do whatever it takes to earn your trust. Um, you've heard us in these podcasts a couple of times before. We have looked at the data. That's the thing. We have looked at the data closely, and we are very transparent about the fact that we've reviewed everything um, as best as we can. And we've even been given the opportunity to ask questions. If something looks a little bit hinky or unclear, we can ask questions and get a good response to say, hey, listen, this is the explanation for this. And then we can incorporate all of that and make good recommendations to our parents. And again, I come back to the final step is this is one of those things that we will do for ourselves. I know doctors a lot of times, you know, do as I do, not uh, do as I say, not as I do, um, you know, overweight doctors or, you know, for me, I, you know, I'm not exactly in the best of shape. Um, this is one of those things where we will actually practice what we preach. And I don't think that there's a better way of being a uh, earning somebody's trust than leading by example. And I think, you know, uh, as we build that trust, it's so important between our patients and ourselves and those that we give information to. It's also important because uh, to also listen to what they have to say. And it's something that they've asked me a lot in the years way beyond before this ever occurred in training and after was I don't want to be a, a guinea pig. And so I don't put anybody through that to make them think that they're a guinea pig because this is already tried, proven. We already know the results. We have the data. So nobody's going to be a guinea pig in this therapy. This is a therapy that we know is going to work. We know we're going to give it to ourselves, like Mm -hmm. what Dr. Kung was saying. And so on even further than that, we're also we're not only scientists and uh, medicine providers, but we're, we're also people 
we're human and we care. Mm -hmm. And so when we care about those individuals we have around us, they're going to sense that and they will sense that there's some compassion there and that we are there be and talking to them about this and being transparent and not just giving them a story. Right. And, I, you know, it, we're not at all coming at this like you have to take the vaccine. I think the best way to look at this is any veteran can come up to us and say, is the vaccine right for me? And then we can say yes or no based on an extensive discussion and earning their trust. You know, we, we've had a very fact-based conversation here, and it's it's good. Um, but I want to get just one little piece of opinion from each of you uh, before we go. You know, we've we've talked a lot about what it's going to take to make all of this work. There's distribution. Uh, there's some public opinion things. Um, and, and a lot's got to go right to make sure that this rolls out all completely smoothly. So um, in, in each of your opinions, what's what's the biggest challenge to making this work? And then how do you overcome that challenge? I think it a lot of this is getting the greater population to understand the importance of it. I, I'm never going to force anybody to take it. And that's not how I practice. I want to give them the, the best information that I can based on the things that I have learned about and I'm filled with. And at that point, I can share that with them. And hopefully at that point, they will recognize if it's safe and whether or not it's efficacious and whether or not they would give it to their own mothers or fathers that might have more risk than themselves. Or if the cases their parents are already passed and they're the mother and father, whether mm -hmm. it's important for them themselves. So that is the biggest challenge for me is getting to that level with them so that we can be on the same plane and, and we can get to that that percentage in the population that will hopefully be effective overall. I think for me, it's just a transition of thinking about healthcare. You know, most of the time we're looking at the individual patient in front of us and when we're dealing with disease, it is my disease. Uh, you know, diabetes, the diabetes that I have doesn't really affect anybody else. Uh, the cancer that I have doesn't really affect anybody else. The habits that I have don't really affect anybody else. And you know, when I'm treating the patient, it's not like the patient who came in before has any effect on the patient who comes in after. But because this is a pandemic, this is very much a community disease. And what we do very much affects each other. So this is a team approach. Mm -hmm. And in most of healthcare, we usually do it individually. This is one thing in which our efforts need to change. What I do can very much affect what uh, my um, neighbors around me get and how they feel. And so that's a change in thinking that's a little bit different than it was before. Yeah, and going to the holiday season, you know, it's the, the season of giving, the, the time you think about family, the, the yes. time you think about those loved ones around you, and, you know, all the more reason to uh, to wear your masks, maintain physical distancing, and, you know, perhaps rethink about how you're you're planning out your holidays. It's, it's the season of giving, but... Dear God, don't give that. Exactly. <laughs> right? And hopefully next year it'll be better. Right. Exactly. We'll yes. We will concerned. get through this. Yeah, we exactly. will get this together. Mm -hmm. So I want to thank both you gentlemen for joining us today. Again, this has been extremely informative. We, we greatly appreciate you guys taking time out of your extremely busy day to, uh, to inform us and our veteran community. Um, make sure veterans out there, you stay tuned to, uh, our, our Facebook page, our social media. Uh, we will be posting things today, actually. Uh, if you look on uh, our Facebook group, we released the VA provided frequently asked questions. So a lot of the information that, that uh, Dr. Daisley and Dr. Kung gave you, you can also get from various resources through uh, the VA and through the CDC. So make sure you stay tuned for that. And um, we will you know, give you more information as we have it. Uh, thank you again, gentlemen, for joining us. And uh, thank you, Josh. We will talk to you guys again soon. 
You've been listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash lasvegasva. Thanks for listening.